Welcome to First Online with Fran. I'm Frances McGarry, host and advocate of ordinary people doing extraordinary things in the arts to make our world a richer, deeper, safer, kinder place to live. So towards that goal to open a dialogue and to share different points of view, stories are shared through different creative mediums. Auntie Mame encouraged her young nephew, Patrick Dennis, to open a new window, open a new door, to expand his evolving existence with all the possibilities that are there for him to explore. Theater, in particular, provides a telescopic lens through which audiences sit in a dark room, willing to suspend their beliefs to witness a story that needs to be told. And there you have it. Goosebumps. That tingling sensation that playwrights and actors and directors and set designers and costumers and choreographers, that, that whole collaborative team unites to create magic, to raise awareness, to crawl around in someone's skin, as Atticus Finch would tell Scout, and to walk in their shoes to consider another person's point of view. As a nation, we are coping with an ongoing threat of a pandemic that has politicized a vaccine and polarized citizen against citizen. So through this podcast, I offer an opportunity for us to grab a cup of coffee and open a conversation about how we can make change. My guest today, Jessica Wu, she's a writer, director, songwriter, theater maker, and actors' equity delegate. She's going to share how to open the door for those who choose to travel this path of pursuing a career in the arts. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much, Francis, for having me on your podcast. You betcha. You know, there's so many pitfalls along the way to succeed in the business, as we call it. What's your story? And how did you open the door to union membership and how its new open access policy has boldly offered talent to benefit from the solidarity of an AEA status? Thank you so much for that question, Francis. I started my career or my journey as an actor, like so many young performers. Uh, I started when I was three years old. My mother put me in ballet and tap. And I just remember in my, throughout all of my school years and throughout, uh, through elementary school and middle school and high school, I spent so much time in the car with my mom traveling to ballet class and to tap class and to jazz class. And we would listen to Broadway musicals mm -hmm. and those Broadway musicals were my doorway into theater. We didn't really have theater um, where I was growing up. And um, I did not actually do my first musical until I was in college. Oh my God. Is, where, where did you grow up? 
Uh, I grew up in rural Canada in a place called uh, Kindersley, Saskatchewan. It's a town of 3,000 people. Oh, my And, God. yeah, it was a very small town, a very small population that didn't really have a big arts community. But I grew up loving musicals through these soundtracks. And yay, Mom. I know, yay, Mom, right? <laughs> I came to New York when I was 17 years old. I went to NYU, and I started this crazy journey that we call being an actor in New York City with my uh, four years in college. And then I actually went on a national tour as my very, very first job. It was an equity job, which was crazy to think about that I got my equity card at the age of 20. Were you at Tisch or um, Steinhardt? I was actually at Steinhardt. Oh, that's where I got my PhD. Oh, amazing. Steinhardt, yeah. Yeah. So I went the teaching path and you just got right on that road. What was the what was the tour? The tour was a production of The King and I starring Sandy Duncan. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, we share similar friends. Bayard Lee, she uh, she talked about I mean, she started as a five year old in The King and I. There's no parameters when it comes to this business. You start when you start. I I always thought I was a teacher and here I am, SAG and equity member, you know, in my 60s. How about that? I have a lot of students that I teach from young kids all the way up through college students. And the first thing I say to every single class that I teach is that everybody's journey is different. A lot of young students these days feel like they're far behind already when they're seven years old thinking that I I've, I haven't done a show yet. I haven't been a lead in a show yet. How will I ever be successful? And I always like to tell them that I didn't do my first musical until I was 20, 20 years old. Everybody's journey is different. And it, there is no such thing as a measure of success. Expand on that. That's an interesting thought. I think that we spend so much of our lives feeling like we aren't good enough. I think a lot of us feel this way. And I think that we feel this way because we're brought up with this vision or this, this picture of what our lives are supposed to look like or what a career is supposed to look like. The glamorized version of being an actor, for example. Um, you always think about that young kid who gets off the bus and ends up on Broadway. It's literally in 42nd Street, the musical. And that's just not the way it works. And we need to stop glamorizing that. And I think we need to stop thinking that is the only path to a successful career or to any career. When you book the show at such you know right out of school with no you know this is what's so remarkable and your point you know the journey is going to happen eventually when it's supposed to happen and for you it happened right right out of school how did that impact the you know continuing that journey by starting out so successful and you hear this from stars as well you know, it's like, oh, my God, you know, I got this job, I got this job, I got this gap, and then nothing, yeah. you know, for five years. And that's why I love going to the the talks. That's, that's one of the many benefits. I'm so proud to be an equity member 
there's such support. You know, you go to those meetings and you listen to these talks and you're like, there's somebody famous and it's the same story. We're all trying to fulfill our endeavors. What kind of sustains you, you know, to just keep going? Yeah. So I did feel like I lucked out in a way, um, getting my first equity job, my first tour right out of college. And I came back after roughly like 15 months on tour as I was a dancer. I went right into ECC dance calls and something that I found was very stark was I went into these ECC dance calls and didn't see a lot of people like me. I'm Asian. I'm Asian American. I am pretty short. And I remember walking into these dance calls and seeing the, you know, what is the prototypical dancer that you see in your head, the tall, beautiful, blonde, leggy rockettes. And I just remember wondering after having that kind of immediate success, quote unquote, right out of college is, is this actually the right place for me? I didn't see a lot of people like me reflected in that audition room. And when I really got down to it, if I, if I looked deeper, I didn't see myself reflected on stage very much in Broadway shows. And if I went back in time and thought about those, those original Broadway cast soundtracks that I loved so much, or watching the Tony Awards on TV, or seeing some of those recorded musicals on PBS, um, all the things that I loved growing up, I'm not sure... I saw myself very much, if at all. So I think that was very difficult for me. And um, you mentioned Biorkley, who is this incredible Asian-American advocate for Asian-Americans in theater. She is iconic in all the ways possible. She was in in the original uh, chorus line. Mm -hmm. 100%. Uh, And boy, you know, talk about a visionary, you know, Michael Bennett and how... He just broke open all the doors, Mm -hmm. all the doors, and started to get the ball rolling. This is where we draw our population. And I think that's one of the things that's so exciting about the union and Mm -hmm. how it's through its new policy. You know, they started to take a close look at, you know, how their auditions are set up. And there's a lot more all kinds of different people. And now they're starting to, you know, not cast by gender or the whole market has opened up. Talk a little bit about that because you you know way more about that as a delegate than I do. Definitely. You had mentioned Biork and just how does one sustain oneself when you're in a position where perhaps you don't feel like you have a lot of power or who do you rely on? Who do you call when things are looking a little down? And I will say that having mentors in the business like Biork is one of the most important things in this um, as somebody who does the arts. And um, so you had mentioned that uh, equity is it's opening its doors. That is, it's one of the most exciting things I think that has happened in, you know, my almost two decades as a union member. Um, Crazy to think about. So what used to happen, for those who maybe are less familiar, is that to become an equity member, to become an actor's equity union member, you used to have to have a contract that offered 
the thing that allowed you to join the union. It was in the producer's hands, essentially, who could become a union member. And there's something about that is seems like it doesn't really empower people to take a stand and say that I want to stand in solidarity. So this change has been so amazing because it really turns the entire thing on its head. It, it shifts the way that people can become members. And now, if you are an actor or a stage manager who has worked professionally, i.e. has been paid for your for your services as an actor or a stage manager, you can take that experience, come to the union and apply under open access and say that I am a professional, I am planning on making this my career, a sustaining career in the art, and I want to stand in solidarity with the rest of my union siblings. And this is my choice. It is not on a producer saying that you can have this contract and now you can join. It is now our choice to join. And that's incredible. You know, there's a lot of um, disinformation going around. I'm just so excited. I'm I'm a new kid on the block to equity (laughs) at, uh, you know, 60 something um, supporter of unions. Uh, I taught for 30 years at the high school level and then uh, as a college professor. But I've always wanted to be in the union. But like you said, it was like that that catch-22. I had to get cast in an equity show, but I had to have an equity card in order to get an equity show. And it was always so difficult. So after I was a member, I got my SAG card. And I was, uh, I had good standing for a year. I got my equity card through that. And I was just so happy because not only could I now get appointments, you know, at EPAs, equity principal uh, auditions, and be part of that line and be part of, you know, being in the room where it happens, the room where it happens, right? It's just getting in that room was just so exciting. And I think there is, I don't know, I think there's a respect that comes from my equity member colleagues. You know, there's like, you're one of us and we're going to support each other. And I'll never forget at one of the EPAs, you know, there were a ton of people there and it was for an older woman part. And you see the same older women at these things and I started to get to know them and one of them went in and had the the sides and you have to wait a certain amount of time before you get the sides and she's like here Fran here's the side so you you know you can look at it get it's it's that camaraderie it's that support that I think that makes being part of the union you know so special and I'm just so excited and I got in I got in at a time when speaking to your stereotype look okay older women are in a stereotype there's ageism this look this redhead this woman yeah I can be a 50 or 60 year old woman I just turned 70 and the playwrights are now starting to get we don't have to all have silver hair and wrinkly skin you know, the, the, they just kept plugging that kind of look. 
And what happened was playwrights started to acknowledge that and change that. So when I started, when I got my, my equity card, there were like a whole bunch of new plays that were looking to change that assumption, you know, about what we're supposed to look like. 100%. And I do think that the theater industry and entertainment in general is, it's catching up, I think, to progressive thought and the way that our society is moving forward. And it it took a long time and it's still taking its sweet time, but it is moving forward. And it's beautiful, I think, the way that what we used to think of as non-traditional types are now being represented in a broader way. There are now stories being told about what used to be non-traditional stories are now becoming our mainstream stories. And that opens doors to performers. It opens doors to creatives on in all different facets. And that's so exciting. And I think that in response to all that, and also I think in a way to lead the charge on that, the union being able to open its ability for people to join and its membership is a big part of that. So much of the way that we as actors and stage managers get work is having access through a lot of these amazing things that Equity has done in the past to negotiate ECCs and EPAs with producers. It was a catch-22 of how you get these jobs because you don't have access to them. They're not the only ways that you can you have access to jobs, but they are a big part of how people who first introduce themselves to the industry are able to get their feet wet. And I think that speaks for a lot that equity is helping to lead the charge on that. And the other thing that's really important is that equity really stepped up to protect us during this pandemic. I think so too. You talk about, there's a lot of information out there that's floating around um, that I think can sometimes be disheartening when I read it online. There's a lot of maybe some not so informed ideas of what the union has been doing during this time. I, I think a lot of it has to do with what the union can do, what the union is legally able to do. I know that with the union's solidarity and the strength of the union, I have been safer during this pandemic. I, I've had a essentially protections, protections against the pandemic, to be honest. So uh, there, I think there are so many things that could have happened. Shows could have continued to be open and floundered and a lot more people could have gotten sick. I think that there's so many things that could have happened that genuinely I feel the union has helped protect us against. And also what's great is I was a SAG member and in the middle of the pandemic, I got cast in a co-star role for a Hallmark movie. I mean, this was the height of the, and and SAG just came up with their policy and I just felt so safe. Everybody was, you know, had masks. Everybody was getting the vaccine. No, I don't even think the vaccine was available then. It's because of the union that we have the strength and the validation to say, no, this is the way it's got to be. And equity stepped up there too. And to our delight, Broadway is open. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, it's so exciting. And we've come (laughs) just 
so far in the last 16 months to be able to reopen to the scale. And just similar to what you're saying about feeling the solidarity, I know that if I were in a position where if I was hired by a producer or a show or in either theater or on screen, I don't, I would never be able to negotiate the safety for myself that the union was able to negotiate on behalf of all of us. You know, we're also tempted, we're just so happy to get a job to be on stage. And this was before the pandemic began. I was on a show at um, Theater for the New City, and there were all equity actors that I got to work with. And oh, no, I was equity because they made me the what's it called the deputy yes yes and I'm like but I just I don't know how to do this and they were just like well this is how you're going to learn and that was when I really began to appreciate all of the safeties net that are there it just made me so like all of the little things like just like a break the stage manager's taking a break. You don't have to ask her a question while she's on her break. Simple things like that, because we're so willing to do what they ask us to do, you know, because we want to be good. We want to be, you know, we don't want to be the one that makes things difficult. But what the union does is says, no, this is how we protect. This is how we work in, in solidarity. I just value that. And I would imagine that as a delegate, your scope of understanding has probably been enhanced in numerous ways. Definitely. I'm a, as you, as you mentioned, uh, I've been an equity delegate, which is a delegate to the convention. So in for two years straight for 2021 and 2022, equity is holding has held and is going to hold another convention where we get to bring to the table resolutions and motions, how we as a union operate. And the convention in 2021 put forth some enormous changes, much like, uh, and open access was part of that. I know that as a delegate, I don't have nearly the scope of responsibility that counselors have, but my understanding of how the union works and how we work together to protect each other has really (laughs) expanded so much. And I just wanted to hit back on something that you said that really hit me was that we are always just so happy to have a job. And because of that, we let so much go sometimes. We don't want to be the squeaky wheel. And it's so important to have the union on our behalf being that squeaky wheel, because just the way that our industry is set up, we wouldn't do it for ourselves. And I think that's just one of the reasons why this open access is so important, because we're opening the doors to other people to have those protections, to choose to have them. In a sentence or two, could you explain exactly what this open access means? Just to clarify, because I'm I'm not quite sure I understand it. Could you kind of explain it to me a little? Certainly. With open access, it is a new policy, a change in policy of the way that our union allows people to join. Previously, it's been based upon having a contract given to you. And now, no longer, you do not need a contract, an existing equity contract to join the union. Now you can bring to membership 
proof that you are a professional actor or stage manager, which is given in uh, usually in a contract, not necessarily with an equity producer, but any sort of professional production that you've been a part of, you can apply for membership under open access. Yay. Talk about open a new window, open a new door. That was what I was kind of thinking about. This is all very exciting. Some of the naysayers are like, well, then we're going to have a whole bunch of people coming in and, you know, how many EPA slots are we going to be doing? And the casting directors were kind of throwing their arms up. Um, how was that facilitated? Well, auditions, for example, I know that that is a genuine fear that people are worried about there being an influx of people wanting to like joining and then wanting to audition. And I think that has always been the way it is in our industry. There will always be more people wanting the job than there are jobs. One of the things that I had to kind of switch the way that I looked at it was that the people who are auditioning have already been here. It's not creating like a bunch of new people who are suddenly here to audition against you or to interview against you for stage manager positions. These artists have always been here and they just haven't been able to, by virtue of not being lucky enough to have received an equity contract, have access to EPAs and ECCs or stage manager interviewing positions until open access. And it doesn't change how many people there are. It just changes who chooses and who can access the union now. And, and that was one of the things that I admire is to take a hard look at after the Black Lives Matter movement, many organizations started to be introspective and think about, you know, are we contributing to perpetuating this? And this open access is really going to open up for Black and Indigenous people of color who may not have had the opportunity to become an equity member, that they now have that door to be opened. 100%. In addition to BIPOC artists, it also opens the door to um, the disability community who perhaps didn't have access before, sure. artists of, of a certain age who perhaps had uh, lesser access. It really does level the playing field of access. It doesn't unfortunately do anything about the roles that are out there or the number of jobs, that's not something that the union could ever really do. But hopefully by giving individuals with these identities access to protections and access to these contracts and um, to benefits and, and all the protections of union membership, we will actually be able to organize more union contracts. We'll be able to organize in a more progressive fashion and, and hopefully be on the forefront of much needed change in our industry. That really gives me hope, not just for me, but for booking something and working with all different types of people. Just thanks for clearing a lot of that up for me because I was a little confused about that. And I'm just so happy that you're here with the show. So so what's next, Jess? Where are you going? What's happening? Yeah, I'm in addition to being an actor, I'm a writer, I'm a director, I am an educator as well. And so one of the things that really fills my soul is I'm I'm actually doing a lot of teaching this fall um, to youngins, to to third through fifth graders and introducing all these students in Brooklyn to theater. 
And so that's actually something that I'm just so excited to be doing this fall. I'm going to be directing a show for young people that's coming up. So it's the uh, best. next generation. Did that for 30 years and extremely fulfilling path to follow. And you learn more from your students, just heads up. You know, oh, yes. they, you know, be they third graders or 12th graders, it doesn't matter. There's no age discrimination there. Kids have that creative source. We're all in that creative source. And I'm just so glad that you're going to be part of that and perpetuating that important work that you do with children. Thank you. What do you think is the most, um, you know, to close, what do you think is the most important lesson that you've learned to share? with others. I think it harkens back to what we first started talking about, our journeys, our lives, our careers. They're never going to look like what we think they're going to look like. And that's beautiful. And it's so much more exciting. And you're going to be surprised. And it's a wonderful thing that sometimes what we think we want or what we think we we need is not what happens and it opens the door for even more wonderful things thank you jess for being here with me it's comforting i find it comforting that i have someone like you and my colleagues at equity that are my family and i have that support and that support in you and thank you for opening the door and welcoming uh, me into your world. Thanks, Jess. Thank you, Francis. Find out more about what Fran is up to. Go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by March Hare Media and recorded at Wheat Sheet Studio Productions.